0: In this episode of the Unbounded Podcast, I interviewed Aisha, who is an imposter syndrome coach with a background in applied psychology. She helps female entrepreneurs crush imposter syndrome, overcome their self-sabotage, and master online visibility by using proven psychology strategies and embodiment exercises. And in this episode today, we chatted all about overcoming imposter syndrome, building self-confidence, and how to stop identifying with your negative thoughts and patterns. Welcome to the Unbounded Podcast. I'm your host, Liz, and I am a mindset and transformation coach, as well as a certified breathwork facilitator. And I am so happy to be here with you today. The Unbounded podcast is all about stepping into your true limitless nature and breaking free from the patterns, blocks, and beliefs, keeping you from manifesting all that you desire in life so that you can live truly free and fulfilled. In this podcast, I am going to provide you with the tools, conversations, and techniques needed to create the success, body, and life you desire without the sabotage and struggle. Be sure to leave me a review if you enjoy as well as join me at the social media links in the show notes below. Now, let's get into the episode. Hi Aisha, welcome to the Unbounded Podcast. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. I'm so excited to dive in today. And I was just wondering for everyone who's listening, for anyone who might not know what imposter syndrome is, or maybe they've heard of it before, but they want to know more. Can you kind of just explain in your experience what exactly that term means?
1: Um, So that's a really good question. Um, And honestly, it's, it's such a a, a term that, that you hear a lot, it's it's such a, such a trendy term as well at this yeah. point. So I get why some people may not even have heard of the word but do know what it is. So in my definition, it's a psychological pattern and emphasis on pattern um, in which you doubt your skills or your achievements. And um, even though you have the ev- evidence to, well, that you're good enough or that you have those skills. And I think the most important thing is, is that, you know, one, that it's a pattern and not a disease. And secondly, that um, imposter syndrome, people who experience imposter syndrome have, um, you know, they have the evidence that they're good enough. They have the evidence that they have the skills, but even though they have it, they still doubt it. Um, Yeah. I hope it's clear. Yeah, I I stumbled a a bit.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. I love that. So, how did you first get into imposter syndrome coaching? What's your story? Did you struggle with this? What led you to want to help others with this?
1: (laughs) Well, um, I've struggled with it for years, honestly. And I didn't know that I struggled with it because I didn't know it has a name. Um, I always um mistermed it as fear of failure Mm. and overly perfectionistic. Um And that it was just like, that's just me. That's just my character. And eventually, uh, this is really interesting, in the university, during my university studies, I studied applied psychology. And during my studies, I did my thesis on how um, women can position leadership positions um, with psychology strategies. So that was my thesis. And I interviewed about 50 women. In different leadership positions, uh, doctors, lawyers, managers, board members—all women—and only one percent, only one one person from the fifty didn't have that imposter syndrome feeling. Really? So forty-nine women in my thesis had that feeling of imposter syndrome, even though they were on the leadership positions. Wow. So then I realized, whoa, okay, what all this feeling that they don't, you know, they're not good enough. Um, and that they're like, I need to, I need to have more expertise. I need to have more knowledge. I need to have more things only then I will be good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, was such a, such a thing that, that of course that I was like, okay, what is this? And then I just Googled it and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this has been researched already in 1970. And there's always, the the name is already coined. It's already imposter syndrome. And from that on, I just had to deep dive as well with me. Yeah. So I needed to do the inner work. I needed to be like, okay, wait, I don't want to be 50 years old and still think I'm not good enough and still overwork and still, you know, over perfectionistic be like this because um I think I'm not good enough. And it's sabotaging me. So I just started reading books um, and I started doing a lot of work and a lot of uh, little experiments with myself. And then um, I started organizing meetups just to find uh, women who are in a similar position as me. And from there on, the meetup women wanted coaching. And from there on, I started my coaching business. So it really went gradually like that.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I thought it was so interesting when you were talking about, you know, for a while thinking it was just this fear of failure or overly perfectionistic mindset. And I know so many people, especially entrepreneurs who tend to kind of get caught up in all of that. So what would you say is the difference between, or some of the differences between just struggling with being kind of more in that perfectionistic mindset versus really struggling with imposter syndrome, or is one of them um, kind of like tied into the other?
1: So I think both are tied Mm into imposter syndrome. So fear of failure and perfectionism is very common for people who experience imposter syndrome. And, um, you know, there are different types of imposter syndrome. um, That's already been been researched. But what you notice is that women and and I'm talking about women, because I I solely work with women, that's why I'm talking about women. But what I notice with women is that, when they're only solely perfectionistic, they're nitpicking on details. Um, they still think they are good enough, but they always have the strive to be better. Okay. Or that it, that it could be slightly better. When we're looking at like solely imposter syndrome, what you notice is that it's not only um, looking to go to something better. It's, it's constantly when there is an achievement task. It's like, oh, shit, I'm not good enough. Okay. And- with that thought, with the first thought, I'm not good enough, they become more perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. But if you're just solely perfectionistic, it's not that you don't think you're good enough. Sometimes you think you're good enough, but you just think, oh, this can be a bit better. And there is there's just a there's just a little difference in that. Yeah. And if we're looking at fear of failure, um of course there's, there's a layer of fear of failure, but what you see with imposter syndrome as well, there's a layer of fear of judgment. There's a layer Mm. of fear of success. There's all these different layers of fears, what you don't see solely with just fear of failure. So I think the difference with, with those two things is that imposter syndrome is just like a stacker, you know, it's stacking all these different things. And that's why um, a lot of people experience imposter syndrome for a longer period. Mm -hmm. because there's so many different factors on it that it's not just solely one problem. It's, it's a multitude of problems.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And how, um, how would you say that imposter syndrome affects women in their businesses, especially women who go into entrepreneurship? Cause in some different areas, you know, moving, you know, quote unquote up the rankings or, uh, getting promotions and stuff like that. There are other people also involved in that. And so sometimes you're kind of forced to keep working your way up. Whereas when you're running your own business solely, I feel like a lot of times it's easier to hold yourself back even more because there's nobody else holding you accountable. No one pushing you. I don't know if that's been your experience working with clients at all, but how do you feel that imposter syndrome affects people, especially women in business?
1: So I I love how you how you um how you said that about there's no one else around there they are doing it on their own right and yeah. they're um and what I notice is that often a lot of people who experience imposter syndrome are really bad bosses and I'm going to say mm. why because people okay. I, I know people are like I'm a bad boss yeah. um <laughs> but What they do is they are really critical to themselves. Mm -hmm. They're really critical. They're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I do this bad. Oh, I do that bad in their business. But they don't put themselves out of the comfort zone to learn and to change that thought. Mm -hmm. They don't give themselves the practical tools and the practical tips to change a different pattern. And that's what you see is that, um, you know, when you're in a company often, you get to get out of that comfort zone, but you get to work with other people in your frame and where you can look at, oh, wait, what I'm doing right now is actually maybe better. Or this is actually really fixing on the requirements because mostly in in business and um, not in business, but in companies, when you're an employee, what you notice is that um, you have these different requirements. You have uh, someone above you who says, OK, this is. This is when when you have these these three things, then mm-hmm. it's good enough, right? Yeah. That's mostly the thing. But when you are your own boss, um, you don't have that often because no one is looking at you. You have to make the requirements. And I think that is where it goes wrong is that we don't set requirements. We don't measure um, what is good enough. And that's the first – actually, the first question I, I ask all my clients is um, – On the scale to one to 10, what is good enough for you? When is something Mm -hmm. good enough? What are your requirements? And often they don't even know. They just have it only in their head. And that's where it goes wrong because everything in their head, like most of our thoughts are negative thoughts, right? So everything in your head, when you think of of good, you always think of a lot of negative things associated with that.
0: Mm -hmm. That is so interesting. And as you're saying that, I'm sitting here and I'm just thinking to myself, like, wow, like I actually don't even have that outlined in my own mind, like exactly where that line is of what's good enough versus like, when am I entering into more perfectionism or just these ideals that can't ever really be attained? So that's so interesting. And it's actually such a simple question, but so many people don't ever even ask no, themselves that. No. That's so interesting. Um. So whenever it comes to imposter syndrome, what are some of those first steps that you do take clients through in really being able to work through that and start to build confidence in themselves?
1: So I have a really (laughs) unconventional way of working with clients, um, because imposter syndrome, a lot of things go back to your childhood, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and I always say that, um, people, people think about traumas only about the big stuff, like war or abuse mm-hmm. and you have small traumas as well. And what I noticed with imposter syndrome, just with only my clients um, is that they endured a certain trauma that made them fixate on being good enough. So if I'm talking, let, let me give an example. So I had one client uh, the other day and she, I asked her like what happened when, when did you know that you were good enough? Mm. And she told me about the experience he had um, in her, I think it's primary school in English, yeah. um, in primary school, and she had this, uh, this, this report that's on the end. Like they get, like um, the 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 teacher tells you um, their observations about the child. Yeah. And she thought she was a really assertive girl. Uh, she was, uh, you know, having lots of friends. She was really nice that's what she thought. But what the um, what the teacher told her on that document was that she was too bossy, mm-hmm. and that she needs to change her behavior. And when she heard that she was like, wait, in my mind, I was good enough. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was doing all these great things. And then hearing from that teacher, um, that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't good enough that I was too bossy, even um, yeah. that I needed to change my behavior, then when she heard that, that that moment really shifted everything because on that moment, she was like, okay, when, when, what is good and what is wrong? Mm -hmm. And constantly looking from other people to, um, to find out if they're good enough. That's where imposter syndrome also really lies is that pattern where we, with every task we do, we, we don't look at, okay, when is it, when is it good enough for me? We look at when is it good enough for someone else? Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we come in a danger zone because everybody has their own subjective thoughts around this. So when I when I say this is good enough for me, maybe that's good enough is really different from you, right? Yeah. So what I do with my clients, um, I make sure that I I look at what did your parents teach you, what did your teachers teach you? Because from one to seven years, that are that is our foundation years. That is our foundation years for later on. I look at the small traumas that you've had and what impact that have made. And I also um I use like methods like dancing and painting. I love that, Um, because I feel as if when we were looking at the subconscious, it's not only talking, right? Mm-hmm. Because what when we're talking, it's really a lot of conscious talking, right? You, you're a mindset coach, so you know. Yeah. Um, but sometimes some things just are shown through different types of ways of 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 letting ourselves go and what i notice with especially with dancing i do especially dancing around imposter syndrome with the money blocks i do i dance i don't talk about it because often what i notice is that when we talk there's so much resistance mm-hmm. that pattern Trying to say, but when I when I listen to different types of money music, I see different types of people come out and then I let them reflect on it. And so what I do is I use different types of ways, yeah. <laughs> dancing, painting, but I also talk about the little traumas.
0: I love that. Yeah, that's a lot of um, that's what's at the core of a lot of what I do as well in terms of assessing what goes on in our life from the ages of one Mm -hmm. to seven, because that really impacts how we live our entire lives. And I think what you said about too much mindset work creating resistance is something that is so prevalent in the personal development space today. There's a lot of emphasis on mindset work and there's something to be said about embodiment and allowing those feelings and emotions to flow in the body rather than just doing the mindset work. So where (laughs) where do you kind of um, draw that line as to like going into the mindset work versus not going in too far. Um, so do you touch upon old stories that come up around money or do you solely focus on the more embodiment aspect?
1: So it depends per person. I'm, um, I'm, I'm a very intuitive person as well. Mm -hmm. So I know when I should, you know, go in there, especially in the beginning, I feel as if, you, you really need to warm up people. Yeah. You can't expect them to be an open book from the get-go. And especially with imposter syndrome, as it is something that often people, they normalize it, right? They normalize the habit of thinking that you're not good enough. So mm-hmm. they go on with their lives and thinking it's not really a problem, right? But- all these tiny things are happening. so what I always do in the beginning I just warm them up I just talk a bit just about them I um, you know I let them reflect so I, I just let them take charge in the beginning and then later on we're going deeper and where I draw the line I I just I just notice that when a person is really closed off and that's with every conversation, When a person is really closed off, it doesn't matter what you do; they're closed off and they won't talk anymore. Mm -hmm. So, when I notice they're getting closed off, I first off tell them, like, "I notice you're getting more quiet. I notice you're getting more closed off. Um, Do you want to do you want to continue with this conversation like this?" And I give them the charge to be like, "Maybe no, this is too far, right?" I, I I I let them be the decider, the decision makers in that way.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think too, no one knows our own body or our own experience or what's going on our mind better than we do ourselves. And I think that the best mentors and coaches are the ones that just hold that space for you to have your own experience and to be able to kind of let them know when you've hit that boundary within yourself. Yeah. (laughs) So I had a question that someone asked me whenever I announced that we were going to do this podcast and it's about affirmations. So I saw that you talk about affirmations a lot on your page too. And this This is one of those things that I feel like some people are just teaching. So like wrong, that's creating a lot of resistance and some people are doing it so right. And it's really beneficial. And I think the way that, um, people go about affirmations can either create more tension and resistance, or can really be one of those tools that just opens you up and expands you and helps you step Mm -hmm. into your potential. So one of the questions that I got is, is there a specific mantra or affirmation that one can keep repeating to overcome these fears?
1: Um, So I think with affirmations, I, I (laughs) it's such a gray area, honestly. Um, But with affirmations, I I, I feel as if the most impactful affirmations are the ones which are very simple. Mm -hmm. And I think um, for me, a lot with imposter syndrome is because we um, restrict ourselves right? Like, we have to be like this, or we have to do this, or we have to get this because otherwise we're not good enough. We have mm. to get this. Otherwise we do blah, 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 right? So I change my I have to into I am worthy. Mm. And so if it's just with all the with all the small things I, I do, I initially could do for others. So maybe I would clean my house only when friends would come over, Right? Because otherwise, if my house is not clean, I'm nasty and I'm not worth of, I don't know, my friend coming over because some people really think about that. So what I do is I am worthy of a clean house. I am worthy of not knowing it all. I'm worthy of learning. I am worthy of being not the best, but being good enough. And I think changing the I have to, to I'm worthy is really powerful. So I I would give this one uh, away. Yeah,
0: I really like that. And I see a lot of people utilizing affirmations kind of as a way to um, almost ignore their current experience. So for instance, in um, sort of like the body positivity realm or utilizing this in terms of healing your relationship to your body, almost denying how you really feel about your body saying like, I love my body. I accept my body because that feels like that's what you're supposed to do. And from my experience working with clients, I've only ever seen that create lots of resistance and tension. So do you have an opinion on that?
1: Oh, uh- <laughs> I have many opinions on that go Um, for it run with it so so I I think actually it's such a bullcrap to be thinking that affirmations are um, the magic solution to everything. Mm Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's really I always say that that whenever we look at words solely being like, oh, this is this is going to fix my life right now or this is going to fix my body. If you look at your body and you're not happy with your body and it's really unhealthy, don't lie to yourself. And I feel like there's a difference between, um, you know, lying to yourself and between um, taking away doubts And I think that that's the biggest difference, because Mm -hmm. sometimes we just what you said, we keep we keep ourselves in a situation because we actually don't want to change. And sometimes with affirmations, people use that. Right. We don't want to change. So we're going to act like it's all okay, (laughs) where we are right now, the situation is all okay. Um, You know, I'm beautiful, um, you know, and and but you you feel really ugly. And a lot of things, you know, in your in your appearance, but also how you care for yourself is ugly, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. you maybe you you scrunch around, which is not a bad thing. But let's not scam ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. not scam ourselves. So I I love that you touch on that because oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I just I really don't like that when, yeah. when people do that.
0: Yeah, it's a big problem and it's creating a lot of resistance and tension for people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you know the work of Alan Watts at all, but he has some quote something along the lines of like whatever one genuinely feels is what is. And I love that because it's true. So oftentimes with affirmations, it's like, we're trying to almost cover up what we actually feel underneath. And so long as we do that, it's just creating more resistance and more resistance and more resistance. And eventually Everything comes up to be healed. And so I think it's always important to just kind of dig in when it's coming up rather than push it down. Um, yeah. But I love what you said about how we keep ourselves in a situation because we don't want to change. Do you want to dive into that a little more?
1: Uh, yeah, of course. Um, there's, there's. by the way, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh, Alan, Alan Mask, was it?
0: Oh, Alan Watts.
1: Alan Watts. I'm going to write that down later. But yeah, um, yeah there's there's um, back to the change thing. There is this meme. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a meme where there's a an audience. I see you smiling. Maybe you've seen it. There's an audience and there's um, this man shouting, who wants change? And then everyone's hands is up.
0: Yes, I've Have seen, you seen that, that
1: one. i see that, yeah. And then um, the other side is like, oh, eh, who wants to change? Mm-hmm. And like nobody's hands are up. mm mm-hmm and frankly change is something really ugly it's really scary change is Mm -hmm. not fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. um we've been glorifying growth as if it's something you know it's a candy we get out of candy shop Mm -hmm. um growth and change is you know there's a lot of battles within that um but you get so much back when you grow you know it's first it's it's during a rough path it's 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 acknowledging that your old you was not who you actually wanted to be or maybe not the best way you should um, care for yourself or be. And I think with if we're going back to imposter syndrome, why I think a lot of people stay also in that pattern is because it's just a nasty habit, right? Yeah. In In another way, it's kind of nice to always... Have to be like, oh, I'm not good enough to always be like, I'm this, I'm this person, and I just don't take the responsibility. I'll, I'll just stay in this, in this place. There's there's a certain comfort in that. Yeah. And I don't hear a lot of people talk about it, but in every position where it's um, you know, let let me take away like being broke, right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain comfort and in, in in not having enough money because you know what? I don't have the responsibility to take care more of me. I don't have to the responsibility to, you know, um, make sure that I can contribute this money to a good course. Like if I'm broke, I don't have this responsibility. Someone else needs to help me. And that's why I'm I know I'm going back to money mindset. Oh,
0: yeah, no, but- bring it in. Bring it in. People <laughs> love people love the money mindset.
1: But that's why I always um when people are are bashing, like are talking about rich people, like, yeah, but you know what? Money doesn't make you make you happy. You know what? Um, those rich people are really arrogant and those rich people are really cheap. Why, why are you talking like you could be the rich people? You could be a rich person that isn't cheap. Mm-hmm. You could be that rich person that gives value and the more money you have, the more you can bring. But it, it also comes with a bit of responsibility. Yeah. And the same with change when you change, that means sometimes that you have to go out of your environment. And my clients, what I always say is that look at your look at your environment because and it's not only like the the friends you are in. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm stating also like where you freaking live. Yeah. Look at where you live. Look at where um where you look at online, what are the environments online that you search? Because often we don't like gossip or we don't like um you know braggers, but we also always you know surround ourselves with braggers. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think too when you start that path of personal growth, So many different things in your life can change and unfold. Just like you said, friendships, relationships. It's one of those things that just becomes like a snowball effect and you start growing. And then it's like, oh my gosh, everything in my life is changing. And it's almost like that, that freeze mode where your body even has to catch up to the growth that you're experiencing. And I think people underestimate what it really looks like to completely take charge of your life and take personal responsibility for it. Because our bodies sort of calibrate themselves in a certain place with, you know, what we experience in our life. And as we start to grow and change, you feel that in your body too. You feel those moments of extreme discomfort. And it really does feel like your body is trying to feel safe at this new level. Yeah. And I love, you know, everything you were saying about how growth doesn't always look like a beautiful process. It gets messy and we have to face those parts of ourselves that we don't always want to take a deeper look at. And I think there's a little bit of ego sometimes involved too, even in those stories, just like you were saying. And I have had so many clients in the past I've worked with who had these negative um, money stories where their only experiences of people having money were negative ones. And so even though they want abundance, they want to live a life where they don't have to worry about money, a life where they are having to worry about that feels more safe to them than an abundant life because it's normal. It's what they know. Just like you said, there's less responsibility for them. And we do this in so many areas of our life without even realizing that we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have something I really want to dive into with you. I saw on your Instagram, you had a post um, and it said something along the lines of why being honest is actually hurting you. So Mm -hmm. I would love for you to go into more detail about this and kind of explain how often we identify with our thoughts and why we don't want to do that.
1: Oh, ooh, ooh, you dive deep in my uh, (laughs) my Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, why being honest is actually hurting you. I, I made that post from... Um, noticing that a lot of people think that what they think are facts, Mm -hmm. right? Their thoughts are facts. While in fact, most of our thoughts are opinions, because most of our thoughts are subjective, right? We pick up something from the area we get it most of and, and most of the time, the facts we pick up are the facts we pick up from online. And the facts we pick up from online are most of the time fake news. And again, that fake news is fake so we then make a whole story and say to ourselves this is this is reality this is facts Mm -hmm. and people pride themselves right in honesty i'm an honest person um and they are not often yeah they are lying to themselves and I, i i also talk about with the with boundaries that's also what i say if you don't make a boundary to yourself Right. If you if you find it really hard to say no, oftentimes you're a liar. Why? Because you actually don't want to do it,
0: mm-hmm. but you're
1: doing it to people. Please. Yeah. So in that way, you're lying to yourself. But in your head, you're like, I'm a kind person. I'm a giver. You know, we want mm-hmm. to want to sugarcoat it. And with honest thoughts, actually making um, all the thoughts making it look like it's it's real and it and it's and it's honest. It's so, it's so, it's so dangerous because mm. we can believe in, in all these lies we make up. And sometimes when we say it out loud, we even call, even call ourselves on the, on the BS, right? Like, yeah. wait, this is, <laughs> did I just say that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Sometimes we have that, that we're like, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really, um, cause I, ha- I have some, like most of the people I work with are actually they have a degree. Um, they know what they're talking about, and then I caught them and like, you know, I, I don't really know that much about. Um, I've got this client about uh, nutrition. Nutrition is, I don't know about a lot about nutrition, and I'm like, really, you studied, you studied for freaking years. You yeah. don't know a lot about nutrition. Yeah, you know, But they they talk to themselves so much. They they compare themselves so much. So they they think that is that is a reality. That Mm -hmm. is the honest truth and it's not.
0: Yeah. And I think too, when it comes to like fear of failure, Mm -hmm. having a fear come up versus allowing that fear to be your identity, like really identifying with that fear and believing to your core that You are that thing. So if you're afraid of being, you know, unworthy of your desires or the life you want for yourself. I think we all have fears like that that rise up from time to time. But just like you said, it's just a thought. It's the moment we identify with the thought that we start to run into trouble. Yes. Yeah. And also, I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. The more we identify with something from my experience, the more then we experience thoughts related to that Mm -hmm. identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. you you just said it all i i think it's it's the same with with a lot of things is that when if we look at at the lockdown right a lot of people lost their jobs or they started a new job mm-hmm. they aden- identified for example as an engineer mm-hmm. right that that was their identity and then when it falls away we're like what am i now yeah And when we identify ourselves, just taking that example of the engineer, we walk a certain way, we talk a certain way, Mm -hmm. we are in this different, it makes us, right? It makes us us. And when we look at mental health, right, when we look at someone who um, is experiencing depression, I I, am saying, I am not saying I am depressed, because I hear a lot of people say that, or labeling illnesses to them um, you, you have an illness, but you are not the illness. Mm -hmm. You have a thought, but you are not the thought and you have maybe a feeling, but you are not the feeling. I hear people saying, I am angry. No, you have angry feelings. It's, Mm -hmm. there's such a different way of life. When you notice that you don't own things, things are occurring. You, you, you're placed in a situation and you have a choice to not attach it to you. So yeah. I think with that, with that distancing of feeling situations um, and labels, it creates also this really relief of, ah, you know, yeah, I don't have to, I don't, I'm not this person so I can do whatever I please. I have choices now. It's really, it's really a breath of, a breath of fresh air.
0: Yeah. I love what you said about not even identifying with anger as like, I am angry. And I've thought about it before in terms of not saying I am anxious or I am depressed. There was a time in my life where I really struggled with anxiety and Mm -hmm. not identifying with it definitely was a huge step for me in releasing that identity and releasing that struggle. Of course, I did a lot of other work around that too, but that was for sure a piece. And it's just so interesting. And I think anyone who is listening to this should kind of give themselves a little experiment and just go an entire day taking whether it's a mental note or an actual note in your phone or something. Every time you catch yourself identifying with an emotion or a thought and just see how much we identify with every single day, because it's so much. And so oftentimes it's all subconscious.
1: Such a good tip. That's such a great one.
0: Yeah. So I'm just curious, what does it look like when you're quote unquote healed from imposter syndrome? Is that something that you ever reach? a certain level where you don't struggle anymore, or is this something that you develop tools and skills to sort of cope with your whole life?
1: So, um, I believe that, that in every situation, when we're talking about habits and especially with imposter syndrome, as it's, it's something that mostly goes on for, from ages, like there's always a gap, right. But when there's a, a certain trigger, it comes back. Okay. So, I, I would say that when you're quote unquote healed, Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that you notice is that you don't downplay yourself anymore. You know, you don't say that when, when you get something and when, when you get a success, you don't say, oh, that might be luck or um, that's someone else, or, you -hmm. know, this time um, I, I prepared super much. Right. So you, you notice those differences, but also what you notice is that you don't, overwork as much or you Mm -hmm. don't and and you less procrastinate that's what I see as well so there's all these the the extra things what I I said in the beginning right the stackable things you see that slowly disappearing or unnoticeable anymore and what I actually teach always is that you get the tools right you get the okay now I can snap back and it's the same with um I don't know. Some people are like nail biters, right? Yeah. You have nail biters. And they can stop for a while, but then something happens and they're really comfy and they're and then you see them nail biting again. Mm -hmm. And that's because there's just a trigger again. And then they need to remind themselves, oh wait, maybe something happened with their nails. Maybe it (laughs) they they really ripped it off. And they're like, Oh, I don't want to have that anymore. And they stop. So as just a just a quick little, little example, but when you're quote unquote healed, you will notice that yes, it comes back. It can still come back, but whenever it happens, you're like, "Wait, this is not me. Um, I am good enough." Um, and you notice also with especially with boundaries, you know, a lot that you you stayed more boundaries because you're no know, like you can't get away with this now anymore. Yeah. You know, because you see yourself clearly. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. And I think that's kind of how it is when it comes to overcoming anything in life, whether it's anxiety or depression or whatever it might be, we do still have those moments where little old triggers come back up and we have to kind of settle back into that new self that we've created and handling that situation in the way that we know we now know how to. Yeah. Yeah, so this has been awesome, and I think it's yeah. been super helpful for anyone who's struggling with imposter syndrome. So, do you have any um, last-minute bits of advice or anything else that you want to touch on at all um, in terms of imposter syndrome or feel of fear of failure? Yeah, um,
1: I think the first thing when we we're talking about because we snapped in with the business owners, right, the entrepreneurs. Yes. Um, one of the biggest things you can do is. Ask this question when you get clients, customers, whatever, Um, before they start working with you, ask them, what do you have doubts about with me? And this is such a question, which is so simple, but most people won't ever ask because they're like, oh, uh, I know that I'm not really good enough. What will they, you know, the opinions, the judgments But when you ask those questions, and then later on, when you're done with working with them and ask them, how did I got these doubts away from you? Um, You can see like, oh, this is again, this extra um, reminder that I have the results. This is again, that someone can doubt me and still I can prove this and show them, you know, without even overworking. Yeah. This is just subtle things that people notice or subtle things that people say like, oh, yeah. Um oh now because most of the times when people want to work with me um their doubts or their objections is money yeah and then after when they worked with me they say you know it was totally worth it um i've got i've got to know myself way more um i've just seen myself uplift more and they they just come up with all these extra things that affects that i i presumably give and i'm like whoa okay i didn't know this about me but Now I know, and I know how it feels with me and I know with my other clients, how really it made them more secure and more confident about, you know, their assets. And I think the second thing is, especially with fear of failure, is make failing your hobby. Mm. And um, (laughs) I was once interviewed for an article and they were like, what, you teach women how to get over fear of failure by failing? (laughs) That's crazy. And I said, no, that's that's actually really that's that's really logically because with a lot of things we get over things by really getting exposed with it and seeing mm-hmm. that it's really not that bad. So making failing your hobby can look at um, having every day doing something that you fail at or um, having a, a I don't know I have like with me I have drawing I've 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 um, drawing and painting. I'm really not a great painter. I really am not. Um, But I started doing that and started doing it like I don't have to be good at it. I can suck at it. I can suck at it really bad Mm. and just do it. And then I'll see how it goes. And what happens then is eventually I get these paintings, which are beautiful, right? But the intention was it doesn't have to be perfect. I can fill at it. I can be really bad at it, and the same thing happens with dancing. Um, I dance sometimes on my Instagram. I have no rhythm. (laughs) You fooled me. (laughs) I have, I have, I'm literally no rhythm. But I dance because um, I don't mind anymore, and I started doing that. And then I got asked to um, for a samba gig. I was, yeah, I was dancing on the street, and then somebody asked me, like. you know, would you be interested in into dancing samba? I was like, Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Why not? Right. In the yeah. failing mode. And then I even eventually even became like a professional samba dancer. No way. And I got paid for samba dancing. No way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't even have rhythm. I, yeah. I I actually I'm I'm really not that good, but I still get these opportunities um because I embrace failing. Mm-hmm. I embrace being bad at something and I think that's the key thing that if, if you're walking away from this podcast, understand that you don't have to be great at everything. I, I don't know why it's everywhere glorified, yeah. but you can be bad at something and that's still good enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's still fun. What is your tip by the way?
0: Yeah. So, well, first of all, I was just going to add on to that. One of my favorite things to give a perfectionist yeah. is to tell them, I guess maybe this is my tip, but it sort of builds off yours is force yourself to do something just for the sake of enjoyment. So whether that is painting or building something or dancing or playing a sport (laughs) or creating something, perfectionists try to do every single thing perfectly. And so when you just do an activity, giving yourself permission to just have fun with it, that starts to break down that need to always be perfect. And I know I struggled with perfectionism for a long time. And even just allowing myself to do something for the sake Mm -hmm. of it, just being fun was like the most uncomfortable feeling ever for me in my body. Cause every single, single thing that I did always needed to be perfect. So putting yourself outside that comfort zone, allow yourself to play more, allow yourself to have more fun and just not take life so seriously because we do, we take life so seriously and it really does get to be so fun when we just let it be.
1: Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Don't take it so seriously.
0: Yeah, exactly. So simple. So simple. So simple. Not always as easily done. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So who do you currently serve? what do you currently offer and where can people come find you if they want to work with you?
1: Okay. So, um, I, at this moment, I only work with female entrepreneurs and only knowledge-based female entrepreneurs. So if you have, um, branding or you're a branding coach, a consultant, or, um, just something about knowledge-based because I feel as if imposter syndrome is especially hitting people who have, you know, are highly intelligent, uh, have a degree um, and have an expertise. I like to work with them. And uh, I offer now one-on-one coaching and I only have two spots open for one-on-one coaching. So I do that three-month programs where I really help you crush imposter syndrome and, you know, online, master online visibility. And I'm starting a mastermind soon with... Yeah, with only four women. So four female entrepreneurs. And what I do with them is that um, you get an accountability partner. So that's why I have four. Mm -hmm. And it's really intimate. So I really find that very needed because imposter syndrome is something where we talk about the small traumas, what I said about. Mm -hmm. And I need you to have a safe space. So that's why it's just a small mastermind. Um, And you can find me on Instagram, Aisha Noel. And then I'll, if you DM me level up, I'll give you all the details. Awesome. And I
0: will put all of the links. I'll put the links to your Instagram. If you have a website, anything like that, I will share all of that in the show notes below, but thank you for being here today. This was awesome. And yeah, yeah, if anyone is struggling with imposter syndrome, head right on over to her Instagram (laughs) right away. (laughs) She's only got a few spots available.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, I really enjoyed this conversation, by the way.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. Thank you.